It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. So today's special guest, former Congressman Rick Keller, who rose from humble beginnings to the U.S. House of Representatives, shares both conventional and unconventional self-help ideas in his new book, and not necessarily political, but his book is called Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve, Big Dreams. Inspirational, humorous, and original, Chase the Bears offers readers helpful tips on how to discover the gifts, pursue their dreams, and find happiness. Former Congressman Rick Keller served eight years in the U.S. House of Representatives. He chaired the, high, the House Higher Education Subcommittee and served on the ju- Judiciary and Education Committees. Today, he is an attorney, writer, humorist, motivational speaker, and television commentator. His TEDx talk, The Power of Self-Deprecating Humor, was the sixth most most watched TEDx talk in the world in May 2022. And let me, so this show is not going to be a political one. So if you don't, if if that word turns you off, stay with us because there's so much more. Good morning, Rick, and welcome. Good morning, Randy. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. So you, call, you named your book Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams. What does Chase the Bears mean to you? So I'd written most of the book, and I'm sitting there having coffee and reading the newspaper with my wife, Lori, and right outside our window, this family of bears comes running by. It's a mother bear and three cubs. We live about a mile from the woods, but this was highly unusual. And so Lori and I, without talking or saying anything, jumped up, ran outside, and chased these bears, trying to continue this magnificent experience of seeing these little cubs run. And we never caught them. We saw them. But afterwards, I said, you know, Lori, that's that's sort of nuts, because a a mama bear, a black bear in Florida, can run 35 miles an hour, Olympic sprinter, 28. And so if that mama bear wanted to come after us, it could have got us. Or at least Lori. I think I could outrun her. And, um, but I said, you know, in some ways it's a, it's a metaphor in life because most people in that same circumstance would stay inside, play it safe, and look out their window if life, life slowly passes them by and then the clock runs out. But some people go for it. They chase their dreams. They chase the bears. And Lori said, well, that's the name of your book, right? Chase the Bears. Wow. That's such a great story. And I'm, you have so many great stories. Um, so there are three steps to convert your thoughts into reality. And what are those three steps just in general before we get into them? Did you hear me? Yeah, I didn't hear you. Did you stop talking or? No, no, no. Did you, I, I was asking you about the three steps that we, um, that can convert our thoughts into reality. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I guess I, I didn't want to. Yes, there, there are three steps to convert your uh, 
your thoughts and dreams into reality, probably the easiest way to explain it for your listeners would be a story about Jim Carrey, whose um, dad was a funny guy but was let go from his safe job as an accountant, and the family struggled. And Jim Carrey said, you know what, I, I learned that you can fail at what you don't want. You might as well take a chance on doing what you love. And so he went to L.A., and before he was famous, he wrote out a check to himself, payable $10 million by Thanksgiving three years hence. And that's step one, a specific goal with a specific time limit. Then he took that check, he put it in his wallet, and he read it every morning and every night. And that's step two, affirmation. And then while he was reading this card, he would visualize himself working as a a famous actor. and Directors coming up to him, complimenting him, saying they liked his work. And just before the Thanksgiving gold date, um, he got an offer to do Dumb and Dumber for $10 million and dreams come true. And he, he put that, that little check into his dad's coffin when, when he passed away. But those are the same three steps that I used to, to achieve my big goals. I was an ordinary student and uh, set a goal to graduate number one in my class, and it happened. And then I set a goal to get elected to the U.S. Congress, and it happened. And now that I'm older, I thought, wow, what, what if I could write a book that could change people's lives, just like there was a, a self-help book that changed my life. And so that was my, my motivation for writing Chase the Bears. Okay. All right. So, so tell us why affirmations and visualizations work. I'm, I'm sorry, Randy. I'm having a hard time. Could you speak just a little bit louder? I'm, a hard, I'm at an airport. I'm having a hard time hearing you. Oh, okay. Um, and also, you keep breaking up, so it's not a very good connection. <clears throat> I said, um, tell us why affirmations and visualizations work. So, affirmations work, saying the same thing over and over again, because you will come to believe it, whether it's true or not. And so, if your goal is realistic and specific, you set it the smart way, and you say it over and over you may not believe it for the first two or three weeks, but after a while you will start believing it. And that is absolutely critical because success requires belief and confidence, and this is going to help give you the confidence that you need. It's the same thing for visualization. Brain cannot distinguish uh, between um, an illusory mind movie and reality. It's almost as if it's real. And so the more you get your brain thinking by a visualization and that affirmations that something is real and possible, the more you will be guided uh, by your subconscious and the universe to take baby steps that are aligned with your purpose. Okay. And we take baby steps to break down the dream, our dream. So how do we do that? What is the first thing to do with when we take baby steps towards our dream? So I'll give you an example. When I set my goal to graduate number one in my class in college, I was a very... um, ordinary student in high school. I planned to be a doctor, pre-med. And so I didn't show up on campus my first semester and take organic chemistry and physics and calculus. I needed a baby step. So I took a relatively light load of 14 or 15 hours, and I took badminton and softball and sociology and public speaking and advanced public speaking, the things that came very easy to me so I could have a chance, give myself a fighting chance to learn how to study. And I made all A's then, and then the next semester was also pretty easy, but, but just a hair harder. And so those baby steps um, gave me the self-confidence to slowly build up and, and take little bigger steps down the road. 
And four years later, I stood on stage, number one in my class, and it seemed like a big victory, but it really wasn't. It was just a, a, a string of little victories all thrown together. That's really inspirational. I mean, so that just tells us that we can really do anything we put our mind to, right? Absolutely. But I, but I, I hate it when people say, you know, it's my New Year's resolution. I'm working out 90 minutes a day, going to lose these 50 pounds before my high school reunion, you know, two months from now. Much, much better off of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to lose one to two pounds a week, and I'm going to exercise at least five or ten minutes a day. It's something that you can live with and, and give yourself a fighting chance with baby steps. Not, not such a ridiculous goal that it's going to break your soul when it doesn't happen right away. Right. And I think uh, when people have a goal and they're not used to, uh, they're not being goal oriented for their entire lives. So if this is kind of a new thing and they're like, I really need to turn things around. Often what people tell me is they get stuck. They can't move forward. And I think it's because if you try to take the whole bite, you're not going to be able to do it. You do have to take it in little steps. You have to break it up. And I t- there's a lot, of, a lot of noise in the background, Rick. A lot okay, of noise can in you, the background. I'll move away a little bit. Can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. I can. Okay. Okay. So uh, I, I tell people, do a little something today and then do a little something tomorrow. Just move towards it little steps at a time. And it, that really, really does work. Because when you have a goal that's, that's just overwhelming and you really want to believe that you're going to make it, it's scary to, to look at the whole thing and aspire to reaching that just, just from zero to ten, right? Absolutely. And the other thing I would just add to your good advice there is I would love it if their goal is within the area of their gifts. Because if you're trying to do something that you have a natural talent or gift in, and you're trying to do it for the greater good, when you hit those setbacks, you, you should know that it's going to be temporary. Because when you're, when you're using your gifts for the greater good, you may have a setback or two, but you won't fail on a permanent basis. It's, it's going to come true. And so I hope people, when they, when they set their goals, they're doing what they want and, and not what mom and dad or their spouse or their friends want. You know, don't, don't be a doctor because your, your dad's a doctor and wants you to. Do, be a doctor if you're passionate about science and that's what you want to do. Um, I, don't, I don't want Kelly Clarkson with her beautiful voice to go work at her dad's accounting firm. I mean, use, use your gift, and I think things are going to work out a lot better. And when you combine your gifts with the baby step goals, anything can happen. That's a great point. Thank you for, for um, adding that. You talk in your book about connecting through coincidences, and really what you're talking about in this book is synchronicity, when things line up perfectly in life, and there's no real way that they could be a coincidence. Tell us how, this, how you learned about this. Was there an incident with you or several incidences that were sort of quote-unquote coincidental? Yeah, I'll give you several. So I set a goal to raise $400,000 in my primary by a certain date. I had no way of knowing how I do it. I just told the universe, this is what I need. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call out of the blue inviting me to go to D.C. and give a five-minute speech. It was like American Idol for politicians where they had 16 finalists and a group of CEOs were going to put big money into it. And I was the last one to speak, and I told a, a funny line about since I'm waiting three hours, I feel like 
Elizabeth Taylor's seventh husband on his honeymoon night. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how to make it interesting. And that group erupted, and they ranked me number one in the country, and they sent me exactly $400,000, the amount of my goal. <laughs> a few months wow. later, I was elected to Congress. And the day I was elected to Congress is another coincidence. It was, it was November 7, 2000. My dad had kept a letter from November 7, 1990, when I was at Vanderbilt, and it said, I'm going to bust my ass and get elected to Congress. Just wait and see, Dad. And it happened exactly on that same date. So I don't think that was coincidental. Um, when I was really at a crossroads in my life and I was, I was tortured as a, as a kid because I couldn't decide after college to go to medical school or to go into law and politics. And, and medical school is what everybody else wanted, and I was first in my class, but law and politics was more aligned with my gifts. And I was at a bar, and I was having a beer, and I said, just, God, give me a sign. I, I, I need help here. And I looked up, and there was a poster of a politician having a, a barbecue fundraiser the next day. And I said, that's it. That, that's the moment I decided on, on my career. That's amazing. Wow. I mean, I had a lot of synchronicities in my life that brought me to where I am. And I totally believe in that. I totally believe that they're like signposts directing us, and we just need to pay attention. Because we all get them. Yes. I, I think you're right. And I, I re- if you run into someone three times, quote, randomly, re- really pay attention. Really pay attention. Uh, <laughs> the universe is, is whispering to you. Yes, I agree. I agree. So um, let's talk about the universe. The universe conspires to help us. Once the universe re- realizes that you refuse to quit and you are willing to stake your life on a mission, it will conspire to help you. Now, for people who don't understand this concept, can you explain it? Yeah, so one of the lowest points in in my life is in politics. I was doing everything right, trying to get elected to Congress, and I found myself uh, in my first campaign losing by 27 points in the polls. I was out fundraised four to one, and the leader of my own party uh, asked me to quit, and it was just a very – dark moment and it seemed like the whole world was against me and something in, in my intuition said you, you got this buddy you, you got it it's going to be okay it's going to be okay keep going and so it was just after that moment seconds away from quitting or 99 percent of people would, would quit that i got that phone call i had the blue that, that changed my life and inviting me to that american idol for politicians thing the universe once it knew that no matter how dark it was going to be, that, that I'm still going forward, that I really believe in this, the universe made things happen. Okay, that's good. I want to talk about the frog that went viral. And, you know, this, is, this particularly resonates with me because I love frogs. And I have <laughs> frog things all over my house. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my uh, spirit animal or, or what it is, but I just love frogs so when i saw this picture of you standing there with this bronze uh frog statue (laughs) i had to laugh um and i know that this was not a popular decision that you made so tell us a story i think it's kind of funny so i was running against a very popular mayor who i like and people like but one misstep that she did was when she was mayor spent eighteen thousand five hundred dollars on a bronze frog and so for people who like public funding of the arts, it, it wasn't anything controversial. But for regular folks, the man, the man and woman on the street, it seemed a little bit like wasteful spending. 
And some outside group had done a TV commercial about the frog, and it sparked all this controversy. And so a million dollars in TV ads were spent for and against the frog. Thousands of mailers were spent for and against the frog. And so for 30 days, that little frog became as famous as Kermit the Frog, and it was the number one conversation in coffee houses and on talk radio. And it, that incident um, made people started talking about wasteful spending and low taxes, and the polling said, when you talk about those topics, tell her when. And so I went from 27 points down to hopping over the finish line, and, and, the, and the little frog helps. <laughs> what a cute story. Wow. It is cute. This, where is this frog? It's... it's um. It's in, uh, it in, it's in a park it's, in uh, West Orange County. Still there. Okay. All right. So, any, park, yeah. uh, so anybody that lives in Orange County in Florida, go check out the frog. <laughs> and, and I, the frog got the last word, you know, because he's still on the job and I'm not anymore. So I, I think he won that battle. <laughs> That's so funny. Wow. There's a lot of wasted spending. Um, and I'm surprised that people really went all out over this cute little thing. I mean, come on. There's, there's so many, so many, so much frivolous spending that I wouldn't even know where to begin to argue with it, to be honest with you. Um, you I know, know it's amazing to me what goes viral, you know, Paris Hilton or somebody will say something and it goes viral on TikTok and now 20 million people see it, you know, it's just, it's, it's a yeah. crazy phenomenon. It is crazy. Um, I know you're a big follower of Napoleon Hill and that you, um, you read, and you, you quote Napoleon Hill, every adversity carries with it the seed of an equivalent benefit. And you say, in your case, there were three major benefits, humility, more money, and more quality time with your kids. Yeah. So the adversity that carried the seed of an equivalent benefit, I know there were many, but was there one in particular that you're referring to in your book when you say this? Yeah, I, I was a really popular congressman for eight years, and then the, the demographics shifted in, in my congressional area, and Barack Obama came along, and he won the state, the county, the city, my congressional district, my neighborhood, uh, and just swept all of the people in my party out of office. And so it was a wave election that, that swept any Republican out of office. And it wasn't personal to me, but that's just how it was. And even though I... I I shouldn't take it personally. I, I did. It really, I felt rejected, and I was like, well, what, what can I make that's positive out of that? And it was the first major setback in my life, and all of a sudden, I, I was more humble, and I was more likely to follow the golden rule, and it, it wasn't a conscious choice. It just made me a better person. It, it, I don't know how, but it automatically did, and I, and I got a lot more humility. And I got a lot of little kids, and I got to make a lot more money as an equity partner at a law firm. And so it was able to turn that, that setback into a benefit. Yes. I noticed that this happens in – this kind of thing happens in most people's lives at some point. And everything could be going along really well, and then all of a sudden they're pushed out of something that's very cushy for them. I call it the baby bird being pushed out of the nest, it's the same kind of thing. And people get all upset. Oh, how could this happen? What am I going to do? And what inevitably happens is there's something better for you. And often we don't, we don't step out of our 
cushy situation, whatever that may be, even if we're not happy in it, we just don't step out of it. And sometimes the universe kicks us in the butt <laughs> and takes it away because there is something better waiting for us. So what was – so besides um, – Besides quality time with your kids, more money, humility, what else was waiting for you? You know, I had another setback as I went through a, uh, a painful uh, divorce after 13 and a half years and I had three little girls with my ex-wife. And um, it was at the time, it seemed like the, the most heartbreaking thing in the world. And I get along great with her and good co-parenting with her. But the universe had something better that would better fit for me anyway not necessarily a better person but a better fit for me and so after I got divorced I met this girl named Lori and she was homecoming queen at the University of Florida and got an MBA from Harvard super funny and and grew up kind of poor so she was humble and it was just like a perfect fit for me my life has been so easy uh the last four years but had I not gone through that incredible heartbreak I, I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have met Lori or had this, this life that's, that's so wonderful. What a great story. Uh, you know, and I think, I think that a lot of people experience that, but we have to be willing to go through the pain. As a matter of fact, you quote Zig Ziglar in saying, failure is a detour, not a dead end street. I really like that quote. I really like it because when we, a lot of people, when they – are up against failure, they think that is it. But it is just the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, and you, you sometimes don't get the benefit of that perspective um, until many, many years later looking back on your life. You know, sometimes the smoke has to clear a bit. You look back and say, oh, my gosh, thank, thank God that happened, you know, or this wouldn't have happened. And a good example of my book was um, uh, Lisa Kudrow, who's the star of Friends, and she went through this heartbreak of, getting rejected for Saturday Night Live, and then she finally got a part on Frasier, a hit show, but they fired her after two days, and she was like, this stinks. Oh, my gosh. And then she kept plodding along, and she met someone who knew someone who got her on audition for the show Friends, and she got the part and went on to be an Emmy-winning Emmy winning actress and makes a lot of money and super famous. And she gave a commencement speech at Vassar saying, goodness, Thank goodness she got rejected by Saturday Night Live. Thank goodness she got fired from Frasier. She never would have got the role in print. That's it's such a great story. And, and we look at her and we think she's so successful we would never even imagine that. But this happens with, I mean, there's many um, very successful people who have gotten fired or um, were not successful. Who, wait, there's some, there's some background noise there. I'm sorry. It's very hard to hear. Okay. Um, was it you that, that was told that you weren't cut out for fast food? Was that what it was? Am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> yes. yes I, was, I was fired from my job at age 15 from Wendy's and told I, I didn't have what it takes to make it in fast food. I wasn't uh, – <laughs> Flipping the patties fast enough, and so I felt like, well, what do you do if you're not good enough to work at McDonald's or Wendy's? And I, I just had one choice: become a United States congressman. You know, it uh, <laughs> steered me, <laughs> steered me to my path. And uh, many years later, I, I'm in the Oval Office with George W. Bush and Ted Kennedy, and I thought, man, Wendy's, Wendy's fired me. I'm not good enough. I'm in the Oval Office now. Okay, 
Um, and to their credit, <laughs> w- once I was a congressman, nobody helped me more than Wendy's. I think they gave over $12,000 to my campaign. <laughs> so it That's, ended up coming full circle. That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, sometimes it, that kind of thing motivates you. I know with my son, you know, in, when he was in uh, middle school, he was bullied terribly. And um, he was a he was small. He was small for his age and everything like that. And he just really was down on himself. He didn't have a whole lot of self-esteem. But ultimately, he's a surgeon now. And I think that, I think that it's almost like, ha-ha, look at all of you yeah. <laughs> who bullied me because I wasn't playing football with you. But are you surgeons? No, I am. So, you know, I think it can really motivate you. Uh, oh, sure. I, I, I'm sure at the high school reunion, all those pretty little girls who were blowing them off <laughs> or uh, hitting themselves upside the head. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, Steve Jobs dropped out of college after six first six months. And um, but he he stayed to take an elective calligraphy class. I thought that was interesting because he liked typography. So what's the rest of that story? Yeah, I, I thought that was an amazing story, too, because at the time, he couldn't connect the dots that that meant anything. His intuition just told him to do it. And that he was gifted in that area, and 10 years later, when he created the Mac, that was the very font he used, you know, changed personal computing. And one of the things I do in the book is, is identify other people, who, famous failures, so, so we can relate to it. It's not just us. You know, Walt, Walt Disney was fired from his job at 22 for not being creative enough. Martin Luther King Jr. was given a C in public speaking. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school team. Oprah was demoted uh, from her TV job. They told her she didn't have what it takes to make it in TV news. And Beatles were told by the first record label they, they couldn't do it. And my, my favorite is a 29-year-old single mom on welfare who got rejected for the first 12 publishers saying your book's not good enough. And the 13th one said yes. That book was called Harry Potter. It sold over 500 million copies, and J.K. Rowling is now a billionaire. And the common denominator with all of those people is each one of them was using their gifts for the greater good. Each one of them, in their own way, was making the world better. And by sticking with it, and even though they had setbacks, they they ended up making the world better. Mm. I think we really need to pay attention to that. I know that I do. I, I pay attention to the the way I'm guided in life, the direction I'm gui- guided in life. And even if it's not bringing forth what I, maybe maybe materialistically or financially, what I hope it will be, I trust that I'm being, I'm being guided in this direction for the greater good. And I think that's really all we have to do is just be – like you say, do what we like, do what's right, you know, help people do those kind of things. And it can take us in amazing places. <clears throat> your, um, your TEDx talk was a lot about self-deprecating humor. I really, I really liked it so much. It was great. <clears throat> what is the secret power of self-deprecating humor? Well, we have been conditioned our whole lives to put out this perfect image to the outside world. So fake it till you make it. Put your best foot forward. Never let them see you sweat. And I think the truth is exactly the opposite of that. I think the truth is we connect with people by being vulnerable and authentic and real. And self-deprecating humor is just the ability to poke fun of yourself. And, and it helps you connect with people because it makes you look 
more human and it, it takes down walls and it relaxes people and deflects criticism. But it's not used that much because people think, oh, if, if I poke fun of myself, then they're going to see that, that I'm not perfect. Well, we already got that memo. We, we already know you're not perfect. The question is, do you have the self-confidence to poke fun of yourself? And so in my TED Talk, I talk about some studies that show that politicians who use self-deprecating humor get higher, higher votes, higher approval. CEOs who use self-deprecating humor are, are voted more trustworthy, more likable, better managers, and it's just a, it's just an, an incredible secret power that is that is very seldom used. Hmm. There's a there was <coughs> sorry there's a comment that um, JFK made that I really liked. Can you share that? Yeah, so a couple, you know, when he was he was running, people were saying when he's running for president that his dad's trying to buy the election and he's just a rich kid you know who shouldn't shouldn't be running for a presidency so right before he gave his speech he pulled out a note and he said i just got this wire from my dad and said uh, uh i'm not gonna don't buy one more vote than is necessary i'll be damned if i'm gonna pay for a landslide <laughs> and uh it, it softened that issue up and then when he appointed robert kennedy to to be the attorney general, that was so controversial because Robert Kennedy was 35. It was his brother. He never tried a case in any state or federal court. And the media went ballistic, even the New York Times, which, which left the Kennedys, you know, said came out against it. And once again, JFK just pulled out humor. He said, look, I don't see anything wrong with giving Bobby a little legal experience before he goes out on his own to practice law. And <laughs> it was charming. And you know what? JFK was right and we were wrong because a year later we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. For 13 days we almost went to war, and it was Bobby who was the one who negotiated the solution. It was Bobby who, who was the go-between between JFK and, and Russia. Bobby was the one that JFK could rely on to give him the truth and, and good advice. And so it ended up working out great for everybody. But none of this would have happened if JFK didn't have the, the wonderful sense of humor that he has. That's a great line. <clears throat> and you also mentioned um, the show with George Costanza in Seinfeld. I, I remember that because I was an avid watcher. I still am. I love that show. But when he decided his life wasn't working and he was going to do the opposite, that was funny. That was really a funny show. Yeah, I I happened to see that show at the at the perfect moment because that was the day that I had been told I needed to drop out of the race um, because um, nobody supports me and I can't raise any money and the polls are bad and I went home and I love comedy and I put in that rerun and I was watching it and there was one scene in particular that really moved me and that is George saw a very pretty girl at, at the cafe bar and uh, normally he would be too scared to approach her. Or he would approach her and try to sound really cool. But he said, you know what? Everything I've done in my life hasn't worked. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go up there. And he walks up and he says, you know, my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. And she's like, hey, George. And they hit it off and started (laughs) dating. And it was like a a light bulb went off my head. And everything that I'm doing wrong in in terms of fundraising, I I hate it. I put off the calls. You know, oh, i got to redo my sock drawer today i'm going to do the exact opposite and so the next day i went to work on my campaign and i called one guy 21 times in a row 21 days in a row 21 failures 
and he was an Amway executive. And after the 21st call, he calls me back and goes, why do you keep calling me? I said, because I want you to give some money to my campaign. And he's like, if I do, you won't call me anymore. I said, yes. And um, he gave me $1,000 and then a lot more later, but it occurred to me that, you know, Amway salesmen are known to be pretty aggressive. And so when I have an Amway salesman telling me I'm the one who's too pushy, maybe I need to soften this approach a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> um, you have any other great stories? I think there was this, was it in your book that um, you were telling the story about intuition where the um, the yeah. 9-11 thing was foiled, the, the Pennsylvania, the, the plane that was supposed to hit the Capitol was foiled? Yeah, so since I'm in an airport right now, it's a, it's a perfect time to tell that story. <laughs> a, a month before 9-11 um, in Orlando, Florida, there was a, an inspector who was called over to interview this Saudi citizen who just arrived, routine, because he didn't speak English. And the paperwork was in order. The criminal background check was fine, but something was just wrong, just intuitively. He didn't know what we would learn later is he was handpicked by bin Laden to be one of the, the 20th hijackers. But this this agent said, you know, something's wrong. The guy didn't have a return ticket. He didn't have a hotel reservation. He was very hostile, and his intuition was going off like an alarm. And, and even though he had all his paperwork in order in the criminal background check, he, he denied him entry. And a month later, we had 9-11, and three of the four planes reached their final destination. Uh, three of the four planes had five hijackers. And that was 20 minutes flying time from the capital is the one that was shorthanded. They didn't have that extra person to, to send off the, the brave passengers in United 93. And so I was in the capital at the time. So it could have saved my life, could have prevented the decapitation of the U.S. Capitol building, but what's even more powerful is after that guy was released and, and he was captured uh, for, for being a terrorist back in, in Pakistan at the Afghanistan line, he was sent to Guantanamo Bay. And ultimately, that was the guy who gave us the name of the courier who was living with bin Laden. And that was the breadcrumb that led us to uh, capture Osama bin Laden. Wow. Talk about the universe working in mysterious ways. That is chilling. That's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, talk, so, let's talk about that. It's so important. Do you believe that our intuition is 100% true if we listen to it? Yeah. I, I trust my intuition no matter how unconventional or unpopular it is. I think if your listeners wanted an analogy, I think when you pray, to God, whoever that God is for you, I think it's like sending a text message, and I think intuition is God writing back, and I think you need to listen to that, um, and you'll know it's intuition, not not just emotion, because you'll feel it in every cell of your bones, and it doesn't go away, you know? I, I, I may be jealous of some handsome guy talking to my wife, but three days later, I'm not jealous, or I may be ticked that somebody cut in front of me at the line in public and shitting, but I'm not not dick three days later. Well, my intuition telling me to be a lawyer politician, that, that doesn't go away after three days. It's there. It's there when I wake up every morning. Use your gifts. Use your talents. And so I hope people have the, the courage to trust their intuition. And I tell a 
story about an amazing lady named Jamie Kern Lima. And long story short, she, she's a billionaire now. And it was all because of one moment where she trusted her intuition and she was selling makeup on QVC. It was her first time. And all the experts said, you need to use you know, beautiful supermodels in their 20s. And her intuition said, no, you know, I have skin problems and relationships. I'm going to go on with no makeup at all and apply it to myself. And that lit up the phone lines. And she sold 6,000 units and came back again many, many times. And L'Oreal noticed it, and they bought her company for a billion dollars. And she said it all was attributable to that one moment where she decided to trust her intuition. That's a great story. Yeah, this is a, this is a topic that I think is really important for my listeners because I do – uh, coaching for narcissistic abuse victims, survivors. Yeah. And one of the things, well, I think it's a major thing that really happens to them is that they are conditioned by their abuser to not listen to their intuition because if they do, they're not going to stay. They're, they're going to leave the, their abuser. So they're conditioned to listen to what they're being told rather than how they feel about things. And after a while, they don't know how they feel about things. And so it's very, very important that people really hone this natural gift that they have. Very important because that is your, that's, that's your truth teller. That's it. That's it. That will always tell you. And, And everybody says to me, I had a feeling, but I didn't listen to it. Yeah. Well, Oprah gave a speech uh, to Stanford commencement address, and she said that every good thing that's ever happened to her life is because she trusted her gut, trusted her intuition. And every single bad thing is when she had that feeling and she ignored it. And, and Steve Jobs essentially said the same thing. Successful people trust their intuition. I trust my intuition. Your intuition is more valuable than anyone's advice. And so, yeah, I, I think it applies not just to work, but even your personal life. If you have some horrific intuition, like your soulmate is pulling around, there's a good chance they are, you know, and you need, you need to look into that. And so, yeah, with, with narcissists, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that you're, you're telling people to, to trust their intuition and also talk, talk to others, you know, who can help you see the life. This is not normal, what you're, what you're going through, and I hope they... They separate themselves from that person and use the gray rock technique and, and stop letting this person be an energy vampire. Yes, and you were in politics. <laughs> so you were deep in the middle of a lot of this. I, can, I can't imagine what that must have been like. How do you not let that get to you? I'm sorry, and which, which one not let get to me? I'm sorry. Oh, so I was saying you were a politician. And yeah. there's a lot of narcissism in politics, politics yeah. and a lot of ego, tons of ego, mostly ego. I, I'm not saying that's you, but how, what was it like dealing with people like that? Well, to me, whether it's in politics or law or my personal life, I just don't see the narcissist. I mean, what, what they want so much is a reaction and, and your energy and the difference between them and me is like, I love getting positive feedback and, and positive energy from people. 
I, I don't I don't like the negative, but they do. You know, they'll they'll say the most wacky things, the most hurtful feelings, and whether it's a a politician or a Twitter troll or or a shouting talking head, they they like the the negative feedback as long as it's attention and they're attention starved. And so, the best thing you can do is not to instantly rebut them and and react to them because that's what they want. The best thing you can do is ignore them, ignore them. Just uh, the old gray rock technique, off to them like a gray rock would. And that's that that to them is the ultimate punishment. That's good advice, and that is you're one hundred percent true. Do we is connecting with people important in reaching our goals? I, I'm sorry, I missed you on that last one. Is connecting with people integral in us reaching yeah. our goals? Yeah, connecting with people incredibly important. So the second part of my book, it teaches you how to connect with people instantly through things like being vulnerable and authentic and self-deprecating humor, but also long-term in terms of how to network the right way. And so, for example, one thing I say for networking is when you have a new contact, don't ask them for anything for a year, one-year rule. And that way they know that they're not being used, for example. And also, if you want to network with someone who's famous and powerful and you think, what can I possibly bring to the relationship? You need to have some benefit, but it could be sweat equity. It could be you're writing an article and you want them to be a co-writer and you do all the work. Or it may be that you're an expert in lifting weights or jogging and you can give them advice there. Or you can direct them to, to someone who has the ability. But I think the long-term prospects is uh, – is deal with people who are quality people. So if nothing nothing comes out of it, you didn't waste your time. Don't ask them for anything for a year and bring something of value to the relationship. Good point. I come across this on LinkedIn all the time. There are people who want to connect with me, and then there's people who want my business. <laughs> and yeah. right off the bat, they want they want to connect with me and then they want my business. So I hear you're a coach. So how can we help you? We we teach coaches how to make more money, how to streamline their business. And so I put a little in my profile saying, if you do that, I'm <laughs> I'm deleting you immediately. So uh, yeah. it stops it stops some people, but but yeah, that's a real turnoff when people just want something from you. I know everybody's hungry. I know it's hard out there. It's very hard out there. There's a lot of competition, especially virtual. Um, everybody's on the Internet, and it's very hard to compete with people. But I like that rule because, to me, when I think about that, that, is, that would feel right to me, to know somebody for like a year before they start asking me, you know, can I – how can they help me or how can I help them? That kind of thing. So good advice. Yeah, it's a, it's a good bright line rule. And there's a, a genius uh, professor who uh, at, at Duke, her name is Dory Clark. And she wrote a book called the long game that recently moved to South Florida, by the way. But she talked about these three principles in her book, the long game. And so I, and she endorsed my book, and I'm so happy, but I just took those principles and credited her with it and then gave real-life examples from, from my own life. And, and I, of all books I've ever read on networking, it's the best. I recommend it to people called The Long Game. But, yeah, it's coming from a source smarter than me. So. 
they're listening to those principles. They're, they're good principles in that, and no ask for a year. That comes straight from Dory, and I think it's a great idea. Yes, it is a great idea. Do you miss being in, in Congress in politics right now? <laughs> That's a loaded question. I miss question. some of it and don't miss others of it. You know, I, I, I miss the ability to pick up a phone and change someone's life and, and get get a person out of a foreign prison and really make a difference and change their life. I don't miss the constant three hours a day of fundraising. And I also think that the erosion of civility at this moment in time is is the root problem of, of nearly everything in our in our country. And we have people who it used to be that if there are ten issues and you and I agree on seven, the other three we're we're still friends. And, it still may be that, okay, you don't agree with me on issue number eight, but next week on issue number seven, you're going to be my biggest champion, you know, and so we put the relationship above differences. Now, it's not that way. It's you have this contempt for the other side and, and, and act, act as if they're worthless and they're not 100% agree with you. And the most mean-spirited things on social media and the biggest morons on, on talking heads or TV are the ones who take the extreme partisan views and yell at the other ones. And same thing with the divisive politicians. And uh, I think at this moment in time where we have a Democrat Senate and a Republican House and a, and a, and a president has a veto pen, nothing is going to get done unless two-thirds of the people agree so we need civility now more than ever, more than ever. And uh, I hope that people listen to each other with an hope, open mind, and I hope they act respectfully. You don't have to agree on everything or, or anything. Just act respectfully, and I think those would be a couple steps in the right direction. Do you have an opinion on, on what caused the great divide in, in people, in, in the parties, where everybody took their sides? Well, oh, one of, one of the challenges is if you have a district that is, let's say you have a district that's heavily, heavily Democrat, so Broward County, let's take your, your area, the right. only way that person is going to lose is in a primary, and so they play to their base. And so similar for, with Republicans, you know, if you have a district 70, 80 percent Republican, the only way you're going to lose is to the base, and so you're, you're rewarded by taking – extreme position and so if someone in the um in the republican party were to say okay you know i'm i'm changing my view on these three social issues they're gone they're gone and so i i wish it was set up in a different way maybe put everybody on the ballot at the same time so so you have to appeal to everybody not not just the limited number of people in your party but I, I wish it was set up so there was more of an, an incentive uh, to to be respectful and to treat everyone's vote as valid instead of just playing to your base. Hmm. Yeah, that's basically what's happened. Yeah, everybody's sort of been forced into their own corners or taken taken that stand because it's kind of scary stepping over that line. So, yeah. so Rick. Um, is there was there anything else you wanted to share? Any other stories that you wanted to share that you thought well, would be I, interesting? Yeah, my my favorite story in the whole book is a story um, about a big tree in Sanford. And the reason I love that story is because it shows the universe can make anything happen. And the short version is we had a big, beautiful tree, fifth oldest tree in the world, thirty five hundred years old. 
um, in Seminole County, uh, Longwood, Sanford area. And one day, a drug addict burned the tree to the ground, and it was heartbreaking. A lot of, a lot of tears shed. And um, then something happened. Some, they realized, some scientists at the University of Florida like, hey, there was a cloning experiment done 16 years ago where a science teacher from Miami happened to be visiting Big Tree Park, and he picked up a tree limb that had bugs on it, and he delivered it to the University of Florida with some genetics engineers, and they worked with the farmer up there to see if they could clone a tree. And so after that tree burnt down, they, they called that farmer and said, you know, and cloning almost never works. He said, did this cloning experience work? He said, yeah, it worked. Well, where's that tree? It's right here on my property. I'm looking at it, going three feet a year. And so they took that tree and uh, transported it to uh, this park, Big Tree Park. And they had a little contest, and they let kids name it, and the name Phoenix was chosen a bird that rose out of the ashes. And so my view in telling that story, two things. Don't, don't think that it's insurmountable, that, that nothing can happen um, to, uh, to help you, that, that you shouldn't apply to the school or don't go for this job because the odds are, are great. And the second thing is if the universe can take a tree that's 3,500 years old and, and rise it up out of the ashes, it sure as heck can help you achieve your goal. <laughs> so to me that's my my favorite story in the book. That's a great story. Wow. Oh. Okay, so we we talked today about your book Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams, Rick Keller. Um Rick, currently you're practicing law? I am practicing law in Orlando and I do a lot of public speaking as I'm in DC just gave a speech to a trade group um and an author and anyone who Wants to get a hold of me, I'm at rickkeller.net, or if they want to get my book, it's on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else books are sold. Okay. And uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, what kind of law do you practice? So I'm a civil litigator, so if someone uh, were to slip and fall on, on your property, I'd be the one defending you instead of suing you. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. I hope you have a easy flight wherever you're going. Hopefully you're going home now. And we really, really have enjoyed talking with you, reading your book, having, having you on. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you, Randy. I enjoyed it. Okay. Have right. a great day. Bye. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife. No, actually, that's not it. Email me at randy at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.